Thank you, Mike. Morning. Um, so, uh, we're looking at being strengthened in faith today. Um, let's start with reading from the Bible, shall we? Uh, Colossians chapter 2, carrying on the series, verses 1 to 12. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. It is up on the screen. Great. Uh, I want uh, you to know, this is Paul, uh, how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit." and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive with hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. About three years ago, I remember going to the cinema with my family. Family trip to the cinema, me, Alex, and the two boys. And I remember leaving the cinema that day with a very broken five-year-old. I hate the cinema. I hate films. I'm never watching another film again. I'm never going... This is the worst day of my life. You're familiar, you've been there. Uh, Maybe not personally, certainly with your children. And it wasn't anything that I had done or Alex had done. It was Dory. Um, Anybody seen Finding Dory? And we've got a picture of Dory. Um, Dory is a royal blue tangfish when Nick finds it. And uh, there she is. Um, She's got a very serious memory loss problem. You could be talking to Dory, and if she turns away uh, and looks somewhere else, she'll turn back, and she'll have not only forgotten that she was speaking to you, but forgotten that you existed. And it'd be like meeting you for the very first time. Uh, The reason I tell you uh, about this is because the story that runs through this film is one that kind of fits the pattern of most stories and films, and I want to suggest even our Christian journeys. And you'll you'll know it well. So this is how it goes. It starts with uh, the star, the hero, the heroine, whoever it is. In this case, it's Dory, a little fish. And they have a quest, a mission, a mystery to be solved, a challenge to be overcome, uh, a bad guy to be defeated, whatever it might be. Uh, For Dory, her challenge is that she hasn't seen her parents since she was a little baby fish. And she swam away from the home and forgot where she was and forgot how to get back. So she's on a quest to find mum and dad. And the way these films and stories always go is the hero starts off with great 
enthusiasm, uh, they are confident and hopeful that they're going to get to their destination, achieve their goal, and the, the film's great, it's going off on this great trajectory, but we all know what's coming, don't we? We all know at some point there's a bump in the road, there's trial or difficulty or suffering in some form that confronts the hero or heroine. And for Dory, that comes in this moment where she's all alone in the deep, dark blue sea. She has lost all the friends that she made on the way. She doesn't know where she is or how to get to the home she does know and the home that she lost. She feels abandoned. She feels isolated. She's scared. And it's at this point in the cinema that I turn to my five-year-old son, who is sobbing so loudly it's embarrassing. He might as well have been Dory the fish because he's so caught up in his emotions of what's going on, feeling her abandonment, feeling her isolation, feeling her fear. How do you console a five-year-old as quietly as possible that this is normal, this is the way it always goes, that hope will come, that Dory will be successful, it will be okay? I don't want to spoil the end of the film if you want to go and watch it this afternoon. Dory does find her parents. How? You can discover later. Uh, but the reason that I tell you this uh, is because it's in that moment of hopelessness that encouragement always comes in some form. And I think that is what Paul is doing in Corinthians, oh, not Corinthians, I'm going to struggle with that this morning. I keep getting it wrong. Corinthians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. That's what Paul is doing. He's writing to this young, maybe immature church who are about to or are going through a time of difficulty and trial. And he's writing to bring them encouragement and to offer them hope, to help them see the bigger picture so that they can do what they set out to do in the first place. Now, I think that resembles our lives as Christians. If you remember the beginning of your Christian journey when you came to know Christ in the first place, that excitement, that enthusiasm as you experience his resurrection life and the hope that he brings uh, and you kind of set off on your journey and it's exciting and everything's new and then we sort of settle in, don't we, to mature Christian living. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe we shouldn't settle in to mature Christian living, but we do. And just like Dory, we experience along the way that there is difficulty and trial and hardship and tough times. Maybe you've not been through those. Maybe they're yet to come. Maybe you're lucky and you've never had an experience like that. But Jesus says that actually the mark of his people is to expect that. If we're going to follow him, then we're to expect persecution. We're to expect hardship. We're to expect difficulty. That's often how God works stuff out in our lives, isn't it? So... For Paul, um, his concern for this church, because he's not there to help defend them, his concern that there are some teachers coming. They may be present. Uh, we think they could be the teachers that once were teaching in Galatia. And they are coming with very wise and deceptive words. Their arguments are well constructed. They're twisting the truth. And he's worried that they're going to be a little bit like Dory. They're going to forget the amazing truth that led them to Christ in the first place. They're going to forget what brought them to that new life and that transformation that they experienced. And they're going to accept something extra, a layer almost put on top. Because that's what these teachers did in Galatia. What they taught was, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to really follow Jesus, then it's got to be Jesus and you need to get circumcised, guys. If you want to be a real believer and have a connection with God, it's going to be Jesus and, as well as your Sunday service, come to synagogue on a Saturday, obey the purity laws. They were Jewish converts, so they were teaching Jesus and something, just a twisting 
of the truth. Just enough that Paul's worried that that's going to mean these guys are now going away from Jesus, not towards him. We shouldn't be surprised. That's what they're doing. I think we have all experienced that in our lives because that is the devil's tactic. It's his only tactic, it seems. If you read Revelation, he's called the great deceiver of the world. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, he's the one we hear saying to Adam and Eve, did God really say don't eat the fruit from the tree? Is that what God meant? Just twisting the truth enough. See, his goal is not to stop us believing in Jesus. His goal is to twist the truth in our lives just enough so that we're not going towards Jesus anymore, but we're going astray from him. That's what Paul is worried about. We all know what's the way to combat lies and deception in our life. It is to hold on to truth, isn't it? So thank you very much, Nick. Um, So this is what Paul does. He gives it to them straight. This is the truth. Hold on to this. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about King Jesus. In him is all wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to go to anybody else. He is everything that you need and desire. In him is the fullness of deity, the fullness of God. There is no more full an experience of the Christian life other than that that comes through Christ and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. He says that he is the head over every authority and power. We don't need to go to anyone else for authority and power in our lives and we should not be giving anyone else authority or power over us in our lives. That place belongs to Jesus. And Paul says to them, you don't need circumcision because actually when you died with Christ, uh, that's all you needed. That's been done. You've had a circumcision in your heart. You've been raised to new life. So we don't need to do anything with our bodies. We don't need to dress differently. We don't need to mark them in any way because it's all been done. Christ has died and it doesn't say you will be raised. It says you have been raised with him. You and I are already raised to eternal life. We can know resurrection life. And and it's that big picture, isn't it? Actually, that's where we're going. No matter what our circumstances might be right now or what confronts us in the future, we've got that destination in mind. That eternity is ours. It's secured. It's guaranteed. Um, Jesus has done it for us. So there you go. That's all you need to know. That's the truth. Um, uh, I'm going to stop. I found a couple of great false teachers, really good, deceptive people. They know the Bible. They can twist the truth. Are you ready, Mike? No, sorry, that's a bad joke on Mike. Mike is not a false teacher. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I, Mike vets everything that I say. He's the one I go to. Um, so, yeah, fully commend him. Mike is not a false teacher, just a bad joke. And uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, but we don't, we're not Colossians, are we? We live in a different time. Um, so, but I think truth is still being challenged. So a little bit of audience participation. Um, next slide, please, Nick. Uh, where do you think truth is being challenged for us today? The truth of who God is, of why he made us, of what we're here for, what our purpose is, what he says about us, how we should relate to each other and relate to, to him. The truth that is revealed in scripture, where do you think that's being challenged today? Take a moment to think about it. If you want to talk to the person next to you, that's fine. And then if you can think of something, shout it out for me. Distractions, Distractions, yeah, okay. 
distracting us from Jesus, like the sprinkler, Rochelle. <laughs> yeah, okay. So filling our lives with stuff, not Jesus, yeah. Identity, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so science questioning what we believe to be true um, and our understanding of that. Any more? Technology. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Great, but also brings challenges. There's lots. Uh, I mean, what about kind of the... What, is, what does God say about uh, same-sex attraction and its place uh, in our world? What does he say about intimacy within relationships, whether they're married or unmarried? What does he say about political thinking? What does he say about the stuff we desire and long for and fill our lives with, like Annie was talking about? I think truth is being challenged for us in a whole different amount of fronts. It's coming from the media, from the internet, from friends, from different philosophies, different religions. It's being confronted all over the place. I'm not going to try and answer all those questions for you, but I just want us to understand that actually we're probably at more risk than I think the Colossians were of the twisting of truth in our life, that subtle twisting that the devil does to lead us away from Christ and not towards him. So Paul has two bits of advice for us. The first one is this, to know your foundations, to know truth in your life. And the second is then to build on those foundations, to build on truth. So that's what I want to talk about. Uh, If we're talking about knowing what truth is, knowing the foundations of our lives, then Paul's litmus test would be this. Is the philosophy that you sign up to, the belief that you agree with, is it Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused, directing you towards Jesus? Because if it's not, it's directing you away from him, and it is not truth. That would be Paul's overarching definition of how we do that. But we live in this amazing time compared to the Colossians, don't we? We can do this. We can read the Bible. You think, well, come on, we've always been reading the Bible. That's fine. These have been around since the, in mass print since the 1600s. But it's only been about the last 130 years that this has been possible. Our great-grandparents' generation would have been the first to have grown up being able to afford one of these in their home and having the literacy skills to read it. And yet, how many of these do you have? How many versions, how many commentaries to go with them? What access do you have to this, which is the ultimate truth through which we test everything? We can find truth all over the place. Someone doesn't have to be a Christian to be able to speak truth. But everything that we hear, everything that we subscribe to, must go through the filter of this. So how well do we know it? Do we know the things that we just highlighted? What does God say about that stuff? Because what I want to say is that it's when we don't know truth, that's where we get into a dangerous place. Because what we believe to be true is the foundation, it's the pillar upon which we build our lives. I don't want you to think of foundations just as a big concrete block, but more like this. It's the pillars that go through the soft soil into the hard rock beneath that makes the house stable. 
And those truths are what God says about why this world was made, who we are in it, what our purpose and place is, who we are in relation to him, what has he done for us, what does he say about our identity, what does he say about how we relate to him and the world around us, what does he say about material stuff. These are the truths on which we build our lives. And for you and I, when we became Christians, our lives weren't built on those truths. They were built on lies, on deception. And I don't know if you remember it, but when you came to faith in the first place, the Holy Spirit does something in us. He gives us this amazing hunger for truth. And you see a new Christian and they're like, feed me more. You know, who is this Jesus? Tell me more about him. I want to understand. Who am I? What does he say about me? We have this hunger for truth. And what God is doing in that hunger is he is replacing the pillars that that are the foundation of our lives so that we don't longer believe the lies and the deception, but our lives become built upon truth. Something that is unshakable, something that can be questioned but doesn't rock who we are. And for many of us, I think the core stuff as believers is absolutely rock solid, but maybe we struggle with some of the stuff that's less core and more on the outside. When I was writing this, it reminded me of a time about 10 years ago when I did quite a bit of studying around um, the idea of, is Jesus really God? the deity of Christ. And, and I was reminding you of this because Janie's got me to do a pod talk on this. And, and I was reminded of actually when I was doing this study and just how excited I was, how much I was loving it. And this wasn't just Toby being super holy and I go and study great subjects. Uh, we, we embarked on this because a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on our door one day and they wanted to talk about Jesus. So I was like, great, yeah, come in, let's talk about Jesus, have a cup of tea. And they wanted to come back and do Bible studies. So we were like, yeah, let's, we'll do that. We're out for a Bible study. And it was their Bible study, like no problem with that. And, and after a couple of weeks, the man who had been coming, it's always a man and a woman couple, and the man who had been coming changed, and it was an older man. And I think that they were feeling threatened because we were challenging the truth upon which they were building. And so they sent the leader of the Kingdom Hall to come and meet with little Toby and Alex and have a Bible study. And I was loving it, I've got to be honest. I love being challenged. I love being questioned. Why do I believe what I believe? Do I believe that because someone just told me or can I back that up? Do I know where scripture affirms it? Do I see that worked out in my life, in the life of Jesus, in the life of his followers and how they react to him? Do I see it evidenced in this world? Is it consistent with his character? Why do I believe what I believe? And one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe is they don't believe Jesus is God. Um, and one of the sad things that I learned is that they also don't think that they're guaranteed eternity. They have to earn their way there by converting you, which is why they're coming round to your door. And sadly, even when they do get to eternity, if they earn, the way they earn their way there, they don't believe they're going to see it close up. They're going to be like second-class citizens. It's so contrary to what Paul says today, that we have been raised with Christ. Eternity is ours. There is a place in our father's house for us. And so ultimately we ended up agreeing that we couldn't agree on everything um, and, and it came to an end. But do you know what the saddest thing is that they ever told me and it almost broke my heart when I heard it and that is the people's doors they, they least enjoy knocking on 
are ours, Christians. Because we're the ones who react defensively and angrily and reject them and push them away. And that's the very opposite of what Paul is saying we need to be today. We need to be people, we need to be Christians whose lives are on such solid foundations that it doesn't matter what people ask of us. Because I can evidence this in my life. If someone has a question and wants to challenge me, and often people, when they do challenge you, it comes with a little bit of anger or irritation in it, doesn't it? Um, They're digging at you. That's what it feels like. But if someone can ask me a question about the core of what I believe, if I can genuinely consider it and let them know that I'm considering it, if I can respond with gentleness, with love, with humility, and give them a wise answer, do you know what happens next? They ask another question and then another question, until they've exhausted their questions. And every time they're asking a question, I'm getting to share the truth of Jesus. I'm getting to challenge the truth upon which they have built their lives. And do you know what they then do? They go home and they think about that. And they might come up with another question, and a month later, who are they going to go to? They go to you. Because you're the person they know that doesn't react emotively. Um, And and this this is why people avoid the subject of religion and politics, because they're emotive subjects. And when we don't know the foundation, the truth upon which our lives are built, when we're not certain of it, then actually we're defensive. And we try to push people away because we're feeling a bit got at. But actually we need to be people whose lives are so secure and solid on the truth of what Jesus says about who we are and what he's done and where we're going, that people can ask us anything. That's, that's where we're going. That's the objective uh, I think in, in doing this, we need to consider also what are our motives. When we do compromise on truth, what are our motives for doing so? Um, and I think that Paul alludes to two things here. For the Colossians, the first one is that actually they were people that had a godly desire. They wanted more of Jesus. They wanted a greater connection. They wanted a greater experience. They wanted more of him. And that is great. We want that too, I hope. But what we need to be careful of is that our lives are not built on feelings and emotions. They're built on truth. Because that's the stuff that is guaranteed, that sees you through the hard times and the rocky times of life. Um, So we need to be careful that in our pursuit of pursuing God and connection with him, that it always goes through the filter of truth and that our lives are built on truth. The second reason that I think we often compromise on truth is to do with physical desire, carnal desire, desires of the flesh. And that's quite normal. Paul struggled with this. Um, Just because we've been already raised to life with Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to experience the desires of the flesh. But for us, I think this is where the rubber hits the road. For us, this is where we've got the core right. Believe in Jesus, love Jesus, want to follow Jesus. But on the stuff we're not certain about, this is where we're looking for someone to give us permission. It's okay for you to follow Jesus and do that. It's okay for you to follow Jesus and have that, think like that behave that way. We're looking for permission and ultimately what that is is a twisting of the truth that leads us away from Christ. We need to know what he says, what he says about this stuff. And if we're not sure, then we need to work that out in community, don't we? So what is it that you're doing to grow in knowledge and wisdom? What is it that you're doing in the areas of your life that you know you are challenged to compromise on truth? That you think you know the truth, but you're not certain of it? 
What are you doing to change that? What are you doing to grow? The second thing Paul says to us is that once we've laid those foundations, we now need to build on them. Simple stuff, isn't it? Lay the foundations, build on them. Lay them once, lay them well, and now build a life that honours God, that pleases him, something beautiful that points other people towards him. This is what Paul says. We've received Christ, so continue to live in him. We have been rooted, and the word in the Greek there for rooted means to lay foundations. So we've laid foundations, let's be built up in Christ and that we have been taught so we should be strengthened in our faith and in truth. So when we know truth, that's what it does to us. It strengthens us. It strengthens us as community. It strengthens us as individuals. It strengthens our relationships when we know what we stand for and who we are. So the question is, how do we do that? How do you build on good foundations? The answers are obvious. You can come up with them as much as I can. It's not just about reading your Bible, but it's about really engaging with it, isn't it? What are you doing? What books have you got on the go? What are you listening to that's helping you? What community are you in that's challenging you, that knows the areas in which you struggle to compromise and they're speaking into your life and they're encouraging you and they're praying for you and they're holding you accountable? These are all the ways in which we can grow as a community and we want to be a community that is not just a strong community, but a community community with strong foundations, that anyone can walk in here and challenge any of us as to who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that doesn't scare us. That's what we want to be. And what Paul says is the mark of someone who is doing that and doing that well is that there is an overflow of thankfulness in their life. An overflow of thankfulness. And I know that thankfulness is about perspective. Perspective that comes from Christ. Perspective that comes from truth. Because you and I have received more than we ever deserved. We were lost and now we're found. We were broken and now we're whole. We were wretched but now we're beautiful. We were destined for destruction but now we're destined for glory. We were without hope but now we have a hope that is certain and sure. We have been raised with Christ in whom is all wisdom and knowledge and power and authority. And he is our hope, isn't he? So what are we doing to grow? Are we overflowing with thankfulness? Let's pray, and I'll tell you how I want us to respond. Father, we thank you for the amazing truth that you have revealed to each and every one of us for the changes that have gone on in our lives of you, as you have replaced lies and deception with the truth of who you are and who you've made us to be. Would you help us as we seek to strengthen those foundations and to build lives that bring honour and glory to you, that point others towards you? Would you highlight to us the areas that you still need to work on? Amen.